to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. The crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet, all hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Well, hey, thank you so very, very much, and welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Uh, Wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem America. Today in the West Hot Spotlight is Hisham Taufik. He is a prominent actor, particularly acclaimed for portraying the beloved character of Dimbe Zuma in NBC's hit series, The Blacklist. Dimbe Zuma is a key member of the show's security detail turned FBI agent and shares an intimate and trusting relationship with the lead character, Raymond Red Reddington. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say that Hisham Tofik is what's hot. How are you, sir? Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is a pleasure because uh, I am a, a huge, huge fan of the Blacklist and your character, that the chemistry you have with uh, Reddington. And uh, also, I've told several people that you're going to be on the show and they just, you know, went bes- beside themselves. So uh, it is great to have you on. Thank uh, you. You're quite welcome. So <clears throat> like I do with uh, my guests, I'd like for us to take the uh, Wayback Machine. And tell us what it was like growing up as little Hisham Tafik. Wow. Growing up as little Hisham Tafik. I grew up on, a, on, on the corner of uh, 113th Street in Harlem. Uh, my father had uh, took over three vacant buildings at the time, turned it into a, a Muslim community. Uh, we had storefront, we had a school, we had apartments. Um, unfortunately, at that time in the early 70s, I was surrounded by the, the heroin epidemic. And so I saw all of the people nodding off and doing all of that. But uh, my father did make sure that we got out to, to the mountains, got some fresh air, got to camps, um, made sure I saw the world um, to make sure I understood that there was a life outside of the streets of uh, Harlem. But I was homeschooled in a beautiful African-American community, had a lot of fun uh, growing up in that community, and it it set a foundation uh, for a lot of the uh, success I've had in my life. Well, hey, that is wonderful. I recently uh, heard you tell your wonderful and and heartfelt story over at Turo College of Osteopathic Medicine, uh, and uh, where you're on the community advisory board, uh, yes. And uh, and I'm the director of professional communications, and you were the keynote speaker at our master's graduation. And I'm telling you, the 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 students and the parents gave you a thunderous round of applause after you finished telling your story. So I just I just had to have you on, and 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 we're going to touch on some of it. Uh, but now, okay, so growing up in in Harlem, um, you then uh, when you went to school. What was your interest? Well, I was a very physical, physically active. So I remember my father first introduced me to karate and tai chi. Um, 
at the time growing up, we weren't allowed to have a TV in our house. So <laughs> every Fridays we would go down to Chinatown and watch the Kung Fu movies. So me, me was, too. On Saturdays, <laughs> me and a buddy would go down to Chinatown and watch the Kung Fu movies. All right. So that's that's all we did every Friday. I was like I said, I was into karate and Tai Chi. And I think as I got older, my father also didn't allow us to play basketball. So we we, we only played soccer. Um, and then that moved into football and track and swimming and doing anything that was physically active. So those were a lot of my interests early on before I went to high school. It was just, you know, football, basketball, soccer, track, karate, tai chi, um, doing anything in the outdoors, camping. That made up a lot of, of my early life. And then uh, from there, you... You got into which college did you go to? <laughs> I didn't go to cut. Well, when I graduated from my high school, uh, my father passed away my senior year. So I kind of messed up and had a choice of going to summer school. I think I was accepted to Hampton, uh, a small school in Pennsylvania. Um, but they wanted me to attend summer school. And I was like, I'm not going to summer school. So um <laughs> I went off uh, at the time I was dancing with my high school dance company. I went off to Paris. I came back from Paris and then I went to the, the Marine Corps. When I came back from the Marines, then I enrolled in Borough Manhattan Community College as a liberal arts major. And then I transferred to City College as a psychology major. But then I, I dropped out and never graduated. Uh, Semper Fi, we're, we're both Marines, so uh, Semper Fi, hurrah, and uh, all that good stuff. So, yeah. um, all right, but now, you were a fireman after the Marines. Uh, tell us about how you got into the fire department. So when I came home from the Marine Corps, I remember in boot camp writing down a list of all the things I was going to do when I got home. And it was like, get your driver's license, take the police test, sanitation, corrections, all these exams. So when I came home, there was a postcard on my windowsill. Um, my brother went to Julia Richmond High School and an organization called the Vulcan Society, which is the organization of professional black firefighters. They took it upon themselves to go around to a lot of the inner city kids high schools and hand out these flyers and, and give out information about being a New York City fireman. Because at the time, there weren't that really, uh, there were no black, I mean, out of 10,000 firefighters, less than 2% were black. So they took it upon themselves to go out and recruit uh, more people of color to join the fire department. So I had this postcard from the Vulcan Society that showed a black firefighter on it. It was like, hey, join the fire department. So I was like, hey, wow, this sounds like a good job too. So I just filled out that application. <laughs> Um, sent mm -hmm. it in and uh, they stayed in touch with me. So I became a correction officer first and then I left the corrections department and joined the New York City Fire Department. Oh, okay. Well, hey, see, you know, you are a, uh, how, how can I say it, uh, brave and, 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 and physical at the same time, having gone through uh, uh, the Marine Corps and then the firefighters, I mean, you know, they're such brave people. They they run into danger uh, while everyone is running the opposite way. So I, I got to give you props for that. And I, and I guess it, it it's no um, no uh, walk in the park to be a corrections officer either. So uh, 
<laughs> no, not when you're surrounded by a lot of people from your block who who you didn't well, speak. How about that? Now they think you're that homie, that friend. They want some help. <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that reminds me of a, the story that you told about you were in high school and someone hit you or something like that. And then tell us that story. Yeah. So when I was in junior, like I said, I was homeschooled um, in, a, in a Muslim uh, environment. And when I went to public school, I was seventh grade. And my first day in public school, you know, I was wearing my kufir, homemade clothes. And the science teacher told uh, this one guy to take off his hat. And he was like, mm -hmm. I'm not taking off my hat till Hisham takes that kid takes off his hat. I was like, this isn't a hat. I'm Muslim. This is a kufir. And this is, I wear this because of my religious obligations. And uh, I guess he didn't like that. So after a class, uh, he punched me in the face. Turned out he was like one of the baddest kids in school. Um, got in a fight. But that was like, you know, fast forward years after that, when I was a CEO, I ran into that same person in, in state. You know, he was an inmate at Sing Sing. Um, had a conversation with him in Sing Sing. And then. But, 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 wait, but wait, before you go any further, tell us how that conversation happened. You, you walked up on him. Uh, yeah. You know? I, 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 well, like I said, I saw a lot of people from Harlem who were locked up that I knew. Um, mm -hmm. So it wasn't it wasn't rare to see someone I recognize. But when I, I, I saw him, I knew him from punching me in the face in junior high school. Um, so I walked up on him and, and called him out. He didn't recognize me. I then said who I was, and then he was like, oh, okay. You know, he thought I was going to do something to him, and, and I told him I wasn't. And he was also bad in, in prison. He was on, on what they call keep lock. So he was locked up for 23 hours of the day, got one hour wreck. Wow. And I was the correction officer that escorted him to his one hour wreck every day. So we would have, you know, casual conversations. Um, then I left corrections, and about 10 years later, I, I then ran into him at, at the mosque, which funny enough, after he punched me in the face, my father invited him to the mosque for Boy Scout meetings. And he came once or twice, but it wasn't his thing. But, you know, 15 years later, you know, after he got out of Sing Sing, he came to the mosque to pray. And, and, and I saw him again. And it was just a full circle kind of surreal moment. What was that, um, the the love and the forgiveness that you showed to this man, was that something that your father had taught you uh, as you were growing up? Um, I think it's definitely something, my, you know, I think one thing I saw a lot of um, growing up is my father really made sure to point out um, the the difference between good and evil, you know, righteousness and, and, and evilness. So I was in this Muslim community, but all around me, I saw drug addicts and, 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 and criminal activity and all types of stuff. But to me, they weren't bad people. They were people who just didn't have the knowledge, just didn't have what I thought was the foundation that my father gave me. My father made uh, he made it a point early on to tell me about Mansa Musa and Africa and my history and ancestry and Native American history and black cowboys and, and, and Islam. Like I was 
all of this was fed into me from an early age. So I just looked at these individuals as people who didn't get that knowledge. They weren't bad. They just didn't know about self. Um, so, you know, my mosque also was a mosque where a lot of people who got out of jail gravitated to. Um, you know, I mentioned before at that commencement speech that my father was a student of Malcolm X. And so when Malcolm had come back from Egypt, um, he had impressed the people over there and he had uh, like four scholarships. So my father got one of those scholarships, went over mm -hmm. to studied at Al-Azhar University, came back after Malcolm was assassinated and, and founded a mosque. And because of that relationship with Malcolm and, and his teachings, a lot of people who were incarcerated, once they got out, they always came to our mosque. Um, so I had already had interactions with people who had been incarcerated, street figures. So once I was a correction officer and saw a lot of these people that I knew that were just mm -hmm. doing activity because just ignorance or not really having a knowledge of self, um, there was no animosity of, I told you so, now I'm going to inflict this power and pain on you. It was more of a just uh, a, a humility, a humbleness, a, a thankfulness of me having a rare life. So even though when running into an individual who had inflicted violence upon me, it traumatized me at a young age, never in my mind did I think I was now going to take it out on him. It was just a sadness because uh, being in there and seeing how massive this jail was, seeing so many people of color locked up, no matter what they did, whether it was murder, robbery, drugs, whatever, it was just a sadness that they had got caught up into this lifestyle. So seeing him in there, it was that same sadness. There was never an idea or an inkling of, okay, I'm going to pay you back. It was just, wow, you got caught up in it. I'm going to remind you what you did to me, but um, you got <laughs> caught up in it. And I'm here to do my job. And, and hopefully you'll get some type of enlightenment and, and get out, which he did. Um, but um, I think all of that was, um, you know, just planted in me from an early age, just about the people in the dark and the people in the light. Wow. Incredible. So, all right. Now, um, you mentioned, uh, we discussed briefly before uh, we get, we started the show, and I was surprised to hear this, that uh, you also were a dancer. Uh, and uh you you got into dancing from football or was inspired to 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 do so uh, tell us a little bit about that yeah, so i got into high school i started playing football i was the quarterback the first year we went undefeated very proud about that um second year i broke my thumb um third year um in my senior year i broke my ribs and collapsed the lung so I couldn't play football anymore in my senior year. And I remember we used to always walk past the dance studio and look in and they would put flyers over the dance studio. So we couldn't look in at the girls and a friend dared me mm -hmm. to take a dance class. And the poster covering the window was of Herschel Walker. And he mm -hmm. was in dancing with a ballerina and he had tights on. So my thinking was, hey, this is one of the best running backs in the NFL. If he can take dance, I could take dance. So that's how I was introduced to dance. And I had an a, a African dance teacher named Al, who was just big, muscle-bound guy, but very flexible. And the way he moved and danced and the African drums, I was just mesmerized by it and, and fell in love with it. 
and that was my introduction and, and i danced for about 15 years after that really yeah. and and that was that was prior to getting into acting correct incredible well you know we've got um about a minute and a half before we go to break excuse me so i um want to uh when we come back we're going to discuss uh your uh present day job when we come back okay. and uh but right now i want to remind folks that um, HarlemAmerica.com is a total black experience in entertainment, empowerment, and health and wellness. And you can go to our website at uh, HarlemAmerica.com and check out some of our previous podcasts and TV shows. And uh, once we go into editing, uh, this show will be up on our TV channel as well. And uh, But we've got so much there for you at harlemamerica.com we enjoy your support and thank you for being with us every friday at one o'clock and we're here with mr hisham tafik from the blacklist and we'll take a break right now and we'll come back and hear all about how he got his role Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. Listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out. Check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem America. Harlem America. Where Coca-Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. You're listening to Harlem America, talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, that's the wonderful voice of uh, Kevra. 
Uh, and uh, Kevin Brene is a wonderful voiceover artist. You should check around some of the commercials and things running on TV. And I just want to remind folks that Harlem America is connecting Harlem with the Harlems of the world with enlightening and engaging articles and culture you can find on our website. Right now, we are with Mr. Huff, with Mr. Uh, Hisham Tafik uh, from the Blacklist, and he mentioned uh, working at Sing Sing. Let, let me tell you, uh, Hafik, I'm, I'm sorry, Hisham Tafik, uh, the closest I ever got to Sing Sing, I was driving up to a place called uh, Brian Manor or some, something like that, and I was going to visit a friend, and I made the wrong turn. And when I made the wrong turn, I drove into this place and I could see this place that looked like a prison to me. I was so scared. I I immediately turned around because I didn't want anybody to think I was trying to <laughs> either break somebody out or anything like that. I turned around and I drove out of that place. Uh, and finally, I found uh, my uh, uh, destination. But in any case, so, all right, you now are a big star on the hottest TV show on NBC. It's, uh, you're in your 10th season, um, and uh, we're, we're waiting for the final shoe to drop uh, after episode 22 at, at some point in time to see how it's going to end, but we don't want it to end. And, <laughs> and, and we, have this, we have this love affair with you and, and, and James Spader, the relationship that you guys had up until uh, season eight, uh, nine and ten was a little different for all of us because we wonder. Well, wait a minute. When are they? What? The, how? Uh, so, tell me, how did you get that role? Um, I was auditioning for a lot of different things. Audition came across. It was July. It was on a weekend. There were no lines. I was definitely going to blow it off. Um, but I said, "Hey, what the hell? Let me go." Um, I went there. It was an improv. After I did that, they called me back to audition again for the executive producer. I did that, and I told I had the role, and I would be doing one episode. Um, I did that, and then they told me they needed me for another episode, which I was mm -hmm. actually kind of really upset about because I'm an avid snowboarder, and I had paid for a trip to um, Chile to snowboard. Oh, really? And I, I remember it was for two weeks and I was like, oh, man, I can't catch the, my trip. And then I was like, OK, I'll catch the second week. Then they gave me another episode. I was like, oh, man, I can't even do the whole trip. And my manager was like, oh, well, you'll be able to go snowboarding some other time. Um, but that turned into 10, 10 seasons. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is the brothers that I snowboard with, they started going to Japan back in 2014. They go every January or February. And I could never make any of the trips because I was filming. Um, mm -hmm. So this year, they're having their 10th anniversary. So I reached out to the guys. It shows over. So make sure you put me on the list for, for going to Japan to snowboard this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Incredible. Um, so now, all right. So, so you got this role. Uh, and you're working with uh, James Spader. A lot of us have uh, seen his work on Boston Legal and, and when he did the, the film uh, Stargate uh, and, uh, and, and other things. And so 
he 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 plays this quirky character who is ruthless for those folks who who will hopefully after this show binge watch the blacklist uh to find out more about uh Hisham's character uh he's 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 this quirky character he's ruthless but he loves Dembe tell us about that relationship yeah i think uh the way it was explained to me they shot the pilot and James Spader felt that he needed to have a team around him after that. And that's when uh, myself and another character, Lulu, uh, was hired um, to be like these, his right and left hand, uh, per se. Um, and on my first day on set, James and I just had a conversation about who I was personally. Um, we found out about my Marine Corps and fire department and corrections. You know, we just had a really honest, authentic conversation. Um, I didn't know who he was, so I didn't bring any uh, of that, uh, you know, nervous energy or trying to play up myself to 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 appeal to him. Back in my mind, <laughs> I was trying to do this episode and 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 get on my snowboarding trip. Right. <laughs> so we just had a, a a beautiful, honest conversation and. As we continue to do more episodes, we continue to talk. And I think uh, we just personally grew to have a lot of respect for each other, both uh, professionally and personally. And that and it, and it came out on screen. OK, now I'm going to ask you this. Since, since you've been uh, in that role, uh, you've learned a lot as an actor. Absolutely. Uh, you, you, you've grown tremendously. What is the one thing that you think um, made it happen for you? Made it happen for me as far as this show? Uh, yeah. What was the, the turning point? I mean, did, did you get, um, did you learn from James Spader anything that, that, that helped you uh, grow as an actor or, oh, or, or from, or from Harry Lennox? Um, absolutely. I think, um, it's a combination of things. I think I, I, I took an acting class with a woman by the name of Susan Batson. No, oh, she's famous. Yeah, very famous black woman. And she's no joke in her acting classes. And I remember I would train with her every Monday from like 4 p.m. to like 3 or 4 in the morning. And when she saw me, you know, working my way around, she said to me one day, she said, you have a presence. There's just a presence and a truth about you that not many actors have. I remember I was doing a scene and I was putting on a watch and she was like, you make that watch. You make us pay attention to it. So she told me that I had something. Um, so fast forward to when I was work, started working with James. Um, I, 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 I remember struggling with not having lines. Mm -hmm. Um, and I tapped into what she told me about my presence and, and my truth. So I really just focused on that um, for, for a number of years of just having a presence, just making sure that I was able to emote with my face and eyes and tell the story of what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking, even though these characters had no lines. So I really focused on that. But then at the same time, I saw how specific James Spader was when he walked on set as far as 
uh, knowing his lines, knowing what they meant, um, the costume, the props, the whole world that you build around this character before you even speak. He was very specific about that, which was something I had taken for granted and really never did. Um, so once I started to, to, and I told him this too, I said, I started stealing all of these little things. I used to see. <laughs> and then Harry Lennox, he has this, he has this thing for, uh, I don't know if you're, he, he can speak very eloquently and yes. voice and he can make sense of things that don't make sense just with his, his, <laughs> his speech pattern. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm looking at these two masters and I'm like, okay. So I just pulled all of these different things from Harry, from James, um, specifically um, to um, layer on, on me. And, and I, like, I knew what I had. So I just took that type of stuff and infused it with what I had to help me grow and learn so that um, I could match them and play with them. You know, I wanted to be able to not get swallowed up in a scene. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To, to play and match with, match them, and, and that came from, like I said, just taking things from from both of them and putting them in my putting them in my pocket. Well, you've done a great job, and um, so then it got to the point where uh, they decided to give you lines and. Uh, how did that sit with you that you now you had dialogue and uh well it's it's funny because when i came in the show i didn't have lines and i wanted them i was like really upset and then once i got to know who jay i wasn't nervous about james or anybody but then once mm -hmm. i got to know him and see him work and then they started giving me lines i became paranoid and just <laughs> I, I was extremely scared to the point of oh. I was paralyzed with fear and it took me uh it took me some time to get exercises and, and re reconfigure my brain to remind myself that I belonged in that space I was worthy and 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 to rely on the training that I had received to now take these lines and and be able to play but it was like, you know, we ask for things and then we get them and freak out. That, that, was, that was one of my moments. Um, but the blessing was, you know, when you have a show that runs this long, you get to exercise through, through those, those, those fears and, and things and build on it. And I was blessed to have the time to do that. So it, it worked out for me. But I was, I was paralyzed for a long time once I started getting lines. And, and then there was a transition, too, because... If you remember when Dembe started getting lines, they were like one liners, you know, and it was very monotone. Mm -hmm. and it was always one type of emotion. And mm -hmm. then as I moved through the seasons and got to eight, nine, and 10, there was a whole different type of now there's emotions, now there's colors, now there's a downloading. I'm an FBI agent. So that was a whole nother transition. Um, but like I said, the, 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 the 10 years afforded me the um, luxury of being able to really train and grow and experience and make mistakes and, and make discoveries that I'm really excited about that I think will really help me as I move forward on, on the next project. 
So uh, sitting around probably at the uh, the uh, reading table, uh, and you discovered now that they're going to make you an FBI agent. What was I mean? How did that come about? To, from going from being the uh, the right hand man of Red Reddington, and then reading all of a sudden now that you're going to be an FBI agent. Well, to I mean to be how, how can I put it? There was this is when the whole Me Too movement started. Mm-hmm. The Black Lives Matter movement started. And I was also personally struggling with, um, you know, you go through different stages as an actor. I think when, with all of us with jobs, you have that moment of being surprised and thankful and you're grateful. And then you get to that point where you're like, I belong here. Then you get to a point where you want to demand respect. Then you get to <laughs> a point where you're like, okay, this is what I deserve. So I went through all of those steps and I got to a, a place where I was like, hey, this is a Muslim character. This is a black character. He's attached to this white character. We have to start making sure that we don't start doing stereotypes. We have to make mm-hmm. sure that we show this black man as a full human being. Um, we have to understand the history of TV and film with black characters. Um, so we started having a lot of these conversations. Um, and that's where you started seeing me having conversations with the imam about, you know, just the moral, my moral compass or the right thing to do and, and struggling with the conflict of that. We had to show that. You had to see me with my daughter or my family. I think it was important to see a black man with his family and what that looked like. I remember like. that. Struggle of him not being with them because of his work or his job. Um so all of this came out of some personal struggles that I was dealing with. And I went to the creators and we had conversations about it and they acknowledged it. They were open to it. And, and so that's where the evolution came from. And then that's what ultimately led to Dembe going to the task force and kind of carving out his own kind of territory, but at the same time having allegiance to Raymond and which creates a conflict. And, and what does that look like? So that was, even though a lot of people hate that there was this separation of the two physically, I think, me it, too. I, I think it was important for me personally and a duty to um, our ancestors, just Black folks in TV and film, that there be a growth. And mm-hmm. that, like I said, that would show this person as a full human being and not just you know, one third of him attached to this character and like he has no other life. Well, I I, I know that perhaps I, I speak for uh, other fans. Uh, when this 10th uh, season is finally over, uh, there should be a spinoff with you and, 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 and James Spader and, you know, Dembe and Red and some kind of something, because uh, you know that 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 chemistry uh, is is just so great, and uh, and to see Red sometimes just come out of nowhere and uh, decide to just shoot somebody, you just oh what the heck, and then, you know I mean that <laughs> you know, that that is so uh, uh, I don't know so enjoyable, and I shouldn't even say that when yeah. I when, when I see uh, Red do something like that um, now. A couple of weeks ago, you were in this scene where you were uh, captured and being tortured by this doctor, this female doctor who had come out of prison, I think, or something. And uh, that, that whole, what was that like? Because you were bound for most of the uh, 
show and uh, you had to exude pain and, and suffering. What was that like for you? Um, that was, well, I, I, that was actually the second time, too. I don't know if you caught the first time I got captured by her in season nine, Dr. Perella. So she captured me in season nine. Um, That's the season I'm talking about, season nine. Oh, well, season 10, she captures me again. Oh, wait a minute. We're, we're in season 10. Okay, yeah, I'm talking about season 10. I forgot about season nine. Okay, sorry. She captured me in season nine. I mean, it was intense, you know, because I was actually really strapped down. Um, I think I've been, you know, uh, 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 blessed with the gift of really showing those type of emotions. It's almost like the Viola Davis type thing. She just <laughs> she, she really did it that. So, um it wasn't too bad, you know, it was good to play off of her, but, you know, mm -hmm. it helps when you're physically actually really restrained. Um, and I think also what prepared me for that is all of the seasons of work before that, where it was just this power and stillness, power and no words. So going from that to also being strapped down and, and expressing pain and torture um, wasn't too hard. I mean, all I had to do was think about my Marine Corps days in the foxhole. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I think the beauty of my life experiences is there's a lot of, of things I can go back to and grab snapshots to inform me uh, uh, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm in a position on, on TV and film or stage and need to call on something, memory or something like that. Well, I, I have to um, uh, echo those words because there are times when, when I, I've got to endure something or, or I've got to do, uh, there's pain that, that I'm going through for whatever reasons. And I, I revert back to, even when I, I do my stress test, uh, and they've got me on the, the, uh, the what do you call the? Uh, the master oh, yeah, yeah, they got they have on the treadmill for 14, 15 minutes. And they keep uh, 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 extending the, the uh, pace of my run uh, higher and higher. Uh, I revert back to my Marine Corps days when I used to have to run three miles before breakfast and have the, deep, the, the drill instructor on my back while I'm running and stuff. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, so those are experiences uh, that uh, I, I draw from as well. Uh, so, all right, we're going to take another break. We've got less than a minute. I just want to remind people that uh, if you're a business person, if you're a lawyer, doctor, psychologist, uh, anybody that... Uh, uh, has a message, why don't you let Harlem America help you build fame, fortune, and followers around your business or your brand? Let us produce your talk show, and uh, you'll be able to uh, connect Harlem with the Harlems of the world. And that's what we're we're here to help you do. So in the meantime, we're going to take our break. And uh, remember now, we've got Mr. Hisham Taufik from the uh, Blacklist. And we're going to ask him some more questions about what he looks for in the future. What, what, what does he see for himself down the line? And uh, we'll do that. And we'll be right back with uh, What's Hot Harlem America. I'm G. Keith Alexander. you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? 
Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. Harlem, America. It's about Harlem. Harlem is my town. Carver Bank, where 80% of every dollar is reinvested in the community. Harlem, America, the home of Coca-Cola Zero. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, uh, thank you. And if you have Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, Android TV... Uh, you can uh, download the app onto your TV, Harlem America, and you'll be able to see some of our TV shows that uh, we've uh, uh, put together and uh, had some great guests on our shows, including, uh, well, Harry Lennox, I believe, is up there as well. I think we've uh, gone through the uh, the editing process and put him up. But anyway, uh, also, you can check us out, download the app to your uh, cell phone. And uh, we're the Harlem America uh, Digital Network also has uh, ha- ha- we've got all of our uh, TV shows or I should say the audio part of our shows are on all of the uh, popular podcast platforms. So you can check us out there as well. So, um, Hisham, what do you see for yourself in the future? Ah oh, man, I, I see everything. I mean, I'm I, I grew up also reading comic books, so I'm in love with with, with the Marvel franchise. Yeah, <laughs> always wanted to play a. You know, I do like the outdoors and being physical, so I, I would love to be a black cowboy. I, I love sci-fi. I love just slice of life. You know, drama. I love Ava DuVernay's work. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's endless. I would love to get back on stage and do theater. I, I love August Wilson's work. I've always had a dream of doing one of his plays on stage. Um, I'm open to any and everything. Well, you just auditioned for a play, or you have an audition coming up or something? I have, a, I have an audition coming up for a play. And uh, the hours that you spend uh, on the blacklist, they're from like early in the morning to... Late at night, those type of hours. Yeah, five, five six, six days a week to, to probably seven, eight in the evening. All right. So, 
11, 12 o'clock at night. Then once they got the rhythm down, and we ended early. Ah, uh, okay. So now, uh, do you guys shoot in Harlem or or downtown? No, well, our main stage is Chelsea Piers. That's where the stage mm -hmm. is. But then we would go out. I mean, we filmed in Harlem. Actually, we shot on my block <laughs> one time. Oh, um, really? We filmed around Harlem. We used Yonkers a lot. We used Pearl River a lot. We shot in Queens, uh, Chelsea, you know, Chelsea and downtown of Manhattan. So we shoot all over the city. And for those uh, people in our audience who have not uh, ventured to Harlem yet uh, or maybe live overseas, because we get a lot of visitors uh, from overseas, I want you to know that if you were listening to us earlier on in the program and when uh, Hisham mentioned about uh, the, the drugs and stuff that used to permeate Harlem uh, back in those days, hey, Harlem is cool now, okay? You come to Harlem. Harlem is, 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 I mean, it's been built up as, you know, we got luxury buildings and, and all sorts of uh, box stores and so forth and so on. In fact, Hisham is sitting with a pillow. Uh, Hisham, hold that pillow up, please. Uh, the, the one over there that says, it says, I want to live in Harlem. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so Harlem is a great place to visit. So if you're from overseas and you come to visit New York, make sure you come on up to Harlem and, and spend some of that money. Okay. All right. Now, uh, Hisham, let me ask you this. Do you have any regrets? Uh, any uh, thing that perhaps uh, you uh, regret that uh, has happened or that you've done and or it, is there something that you had to give up in order to become the Hisham Tafik that we know now? Wow, great question. You know, it's funny because when I see other interviews and everybody's always like, I have no regrets, I have no regrets, I have no regrets. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't fit that slot. I think, um, you know, I lost both of my parents at an early age. So I didn't have the luxury to be a kid. Um, I didn't have the luxury to just kind of, uh, I won't say not be a dreamer because I've, I've, I've held on to my dreams, which has led to this, this beautiful life I've had. But I, I didn't have, I couldn't just sit back and chill. There was, it was always, I was always in survival mode. And I remember now, especially with all of this talk about emotional intelligence, everybody talks about it's a time for survival mode. And then there's a, you know, you can leave that alone and move into the presence of, of living life and enjoying life. But, you know, I don't know if that's a regret, but I, I don't think I had the, the, the luxury of, of enjoying life in my childhood, per se, where I had no worries about finances. Um, and then the next thing I would say I regret is um, I always wanted to go to like a HBCU. I wanted to go to college, mm. live the whole dorm life and, and, and graduate from a school with a degree. And um, I know many people say, oh, you can still do that. But it was, it's just something about doing that for, you know, from your, that 18 to 30 bracket or whatever the years are, you usually go to school. That's something that I missed out on that I really... Um, I, and I'll never be able to to do, you know, relive that. But that's the one thing when people talk about regrets is I really wanted to go to 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 a HBCU, go to a school, um, and, and experience that that life. And um, 
Okay. All right. So you are an avid golfer. Mm -hmm. You have traveled around various places to play golf. Is that correct? Yes. Well, we are, uh, well, last year I went to uh, a golf uh, expo and forum uh, produced by my lifelong friend, Jim Beattie, uh, Jim Beattie Golf Ventures, and uh, we had a wonderful time down in South Carolina. Well, this year in August uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, we're having the third African-American Golf Expo and Forum. And of course, Harlem America will be there uh, uh, interviewing uh, some of the golfers. And last year, I, I met the uh, president of uh, Tiger Woods Foundation and the president of Callaway Golf and a whole bunch of folks. I would love to extend the invitation to you if you're not working in, in August to join us at the third African-American Golf Expo and Forum. Absolutely. Absolutely. Question, do you get to play around when you're, when you're down there or is it just all forum and business? You don't get to. No, it, it, you get to play around with, with all these uh, high powered uh, golfing people. And, uh, and, and, and the reason why I got so interested, uh, I had Jim on the show and Jim mm -hmm. talked about golfing, but what he revealed to me and the audience is that golfing is a hundred billion dollar business and black folks only are like maybe two percent in it so i went down to discover all of these vendors and a lot many of them black they they had black golf ball companies black um uh, uh water vendors black uh you name it merchandise and it's wonderful to see all of this activity amongst our folks now of course we had other people there as well but i'm I'm fascinated with uh, our portion of the industry and how we can get in and make some of this money as well, as well as meet a lot of people and deals made on the course, as you know, because, you know, that's where deals are made. But uh, yes, it, it it's you can play around and uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, so if yeah, you're interested. Absolutely. I, I would love to. I would jump on that. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, I know you've played over in New Jersey with our friend uh, 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 Cool from uh, Cool and the yeah. Gang and and some of the athletes come over there and play in, in that uh, uh, golfing uh, classic. But uh, uh, th this one's going to be fantastic as well. So great. I, I, if you don't mind, I'll let Jim know that, uh, that, that you said you'd love to come. And, Absolutely. Uh, oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So, um, all right. Now, do you ever think that you'll uh, become a, a producer or, uh, you know, create your own uh, content? Absolutely. Um, I think there's one thing I learned on, on the 10 years of this show is, one, that's where the power and the money is, <laughs> producing. <laughs> um, and uh, I've all, I, I think I've had an interesting life that would play out in many aspects on TV, film, or theater. So I would definitely want to produce um something but uh the first thing that comes to mind is is something about my life um who would you like to work with uh give, give me a, a a list of uh maybe about three or four artists that you'd like to work with uh viola davis 
Um, of course, Denzel Washington. Um, there's so many people. Um, uh, there's another woman by the name of uh, Marsha Stephanie Blake. Uh, mm-hmm. Younger actress on the scene. Um, I love Wesley Snipes. I've had a conversation with him. With oh, yeah. him. Um, I love Don Cheadle's work. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge list. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something else I wanted to ask you about. Um, oh, can you give a, give us a little funny anecdote about something that happened on the set? Something. <laughs> I, one thing that happened was um, there was a scene where James and I were, uh, and this I'll tell you, this talks to how specific he is. We had mm-hmm. some binoculars and we're supposed to be looking out. Um, I don't know if we were looking at birds or looking at something. And um, I start off with the binoculars and I'm looking at it, look through it, and I say my lines, da, 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 da. And I hand the binoculars to him and he takes the binoculars and he's like, can you see through these things? And I was like, no. (laughs) And we turn the binoculars around and the caps are still on. But me, I didn't care. I'm just looking through them, saying my lines. But the James, <laughs> he's very specific. He's like, uh-huh. I can't even see through these things. And even though if he could see, you got to pretend what you're seeing because there was yeah. nothing to look at. We were on a stage <laughs> and it's a green screen. But uh-huh. in his mind, he's so specific, he at least needs to see the green screen to see the binoculars <laughs> working. So there was a big laugh on set and that I was acting like I saw something with the caps on. And he discovered, you know, we got to take the caps off. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, let's see now. Have I forgotten anything? Um, what would you give me some advice for uh, folks who would like to get into uh, acting or television? Uh, what advice would you give them? To train. Train, train, train. I think the, the the trap is when we look at actors, we don't see actors put in the work and practice. NFL, NBA, golf, you know, we always see people practicing on the free throw. We see them playing. We see them doing all of this. We see them training. You don't, you don't mm-hmm. see actors train. That's not the good mm-hmm. part of acting. You know what I mean? That's, and training has a lot to do with finding out who you are, your inner self. Um, because acting is about human behavior. So before you can pretend or act like someone else, you need to study yourself. And that's hard and it's a lot of work, but we don't see that. So most people think they can jump up and just act, but we know we can't jump up and get in the NBA. We know it takes years of practice and to <laughs> get in the NBA. So why do you think you're gonna jump up and do a scene with Denzel Washington? It don't work that way. So I tell everybody, train, 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 train. You, you can never stop training. And if you put in the hours and train, then you will be ready for when that opportunity comes. Hisham, Tafik, Dembe, Zula, Azuma, Dembe, Zuma, 
It's been wonderful having you on What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. And, you. Uh, you know, if, if if you need me for anything, you just let me know. And I'll be in touch with you uh, about our, our golf uh, uh, expo. And uh, you have a great day and a better Thank one you, tomorrow. Sir. And we'll be looking for you every Sunday. Oh, but it's, it's a hiatus right now, right? No, no, no. I believe it's still on every it, Sunday. It, Okay, beyond this Sunday. And for those of you who've never seen The Blacklist, please go and binge and become a fan like we are. All right? So have a great day and a better one tomorrow. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful remainder of the day. I'm G. Keith Alexander. Bye. Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional shows